This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. And so, so are you guys, uh, are you like... Um, Tired of answering the same questions over and over? Or you- Luckily, they won't have to do that. <laughs> yeah, we're somewhere between like tired and also like uh, uh, we're trying to keep it fresh. So we, we're starting to like dig deeper and reveal new things about our psyche as we attempt to not repeat <laughs> yeah. ourselves. You know, we're, okay. we're getting close to the bottom though. I don't know how yeah. much further we can go. <laughs> right. I, I always pass this on to people. Um, uh, I remember when I've done these things, I always think I'm going to do it, and then it's just too much work. But uh, Brian De Palma, apparently back in, in his heyday, used to make up different answers to the same questions. Yeah. Like radically different answers to the same <laughs> questions. You know, it would be so you like on one person, you'd be like, well, we've always loved Michelle Yeoh and we wanted to write something for her. And the next one would be like, well, we actually wrote it for, you know, Charlie well, Hunnam and uh, right. they battled <laughs> us with this actress we'd never heard of. And <laughs> it's, harder same, to, it's harder to pull off during the. Uh, age of the internet. I feel like the fact checking gets a little, oh, but that's all, that's the fun of it. Then it really yeah. boggles people's minds because yeah. nobody yeah. knows. Then you have Twitter wars where someone's going, no, no, they always want to work with her. And there's somebody else going, no, I've got, I can prove you're wrong. And, oh my God. Yeah. I'm just, right. I'm for, just for the next movie, putting it out there for you. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, well, well, thank, thanks for coming on. Man. I'm really psyched. I, yeah, I very much, uh, uh, I, I really enjoyed your last one, Swiss army man. And uh, really, 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 um, I, I love the new one. Uh, it's it's such a blast. Um, and it's everything, everywhere, all at once with the great Michelle Yeoh. Um, it, it's one of those movies where just like the trailer, it was like it, the instant I saw the trailer, I was like, we have to get these guys. And and even if we don't, I need to see this movie before anybody else does. I have to see this movie. <laughs> and, uh, great. A successful trailer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's terrific. Um, and then I was thrilled when we were sort of uh, talking about doing this early on that uh, um, you you came up with a kind of theme into the movies you want to talk about that it makes perfect sense. I guess if you put a gun to my head and said, what kind of movies do you think have influenced these guys? It, it would not have taken long to come up with. But uh, I love that you wanted to talk about uh, nothing but animated films. Mm-hmm. And is that yeah. like... Yeah, we met in an animation class uh, a long time ago. And, oh, wow. Uh, we... Neither of us took to it as an, as an art form, but yeah. <laughs> we're huge fans. <laughs> yeah. People, we, we always say that our films are like, they're ideas that should be animated, but we decided to do them live action and just, just to see what, if we can pull it off. And uh, I think that's why our films have very unique, um, you know, Looney Tunes vibe to them. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to talk about our influences in that world. Cause like they are some of our favorite films. Yeah, no. Awesome. Let's, let's do it. I mean, what were you, um, so you both, you, you, you met in that class? Is that? Yeah, it was like a 3D animation course in college. Uh, and like we were learning Maya, which is like a, right. a you know, like excruciatingly difficult program. It's very powerful. Like you can control physics, but <laughs> oh my God, is it like slow to like figure it out? Um, right. There's a reason why the Pixar movies take like five years to make. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, so you came together sort of through your love of animation and then started working together through your desire not to make animation. Is that kind of the- <laughs> more or less <laughs> kind of yeah. like, uh, our first movie we ever made together was sort of like a camera test mixed with Dan teaching me after effects, which was like what he used to do motion graphics at the time. And yeah, so we, I thought I was going to be an animator or a motion designer or something like that. But, um, so we started applying what he'd learned, but to like, some live action footage that we shot on a new camera and uh, 
And then the internet really liked it. And we were like, I guess we should collaborate more so that we get more compliments from the internet. <laughs> and uh, here we are now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, cool. Well, let's talk about, uh, yeah, some of these, some of these movies. Um, did you guys kind of, is it a love of the same films or were you kind of, did you each have your own kind of particular avenue and arena of animation you liked that you brought to the other? Yeah. Um, a mix that I think we have a lot of overlap. Um, and, uh, but there's a couple in here that are more mine and more Dan's. Um, yeah. I feel like fun. when I met, um, Shiner, I was really obsessed with what was happening on Vimeo and like what was happening with the independent animation world where mm -hmm. suddenly the technology had um, got become cheap enough and available enough that anyone who was dedicated enough could make an entire short film all by themselves, sound design, animation, everything just by uh, one human being. And because of that, we were, I don't know, there was this explosion of really interesting um, animated short films happening around 10,000 or around 10 years ago. 10,000 years, 10, years ago. 10,000 years ago. Uh, around yes. 10, 10 years ago. Um, and many of those um, short filmmakers, you know, we put on this list just because they still influence us and they still think that they are, um, I still think they're incredibly talented people. Many of them have become friends, actually. And uh, mm. yeah, we're excited to talk oh. about that. Hey, a dog. Our dog says hello. <laughs> this is Puddle. What's your favorite animated film, Pud? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to send him outside. Uh, oh, hey, buddy. Um, but for the most part, a lot of this was like, oh, um, we both had, we have a pretty decent overlap in taste. Like a lot of the, we have a lot of the similar, we have a lot of similar influences, but very different approaches to creative work. And I think that's why our, our work is very um, unique. Well, well, do you want to start talking about like some of the, the, the indie shorts then, or what's, um, that sounds fun. You want to, sure. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's... I, I also feel like it's the kind of things that, um, most people in this audience probably haven't explored much of, um, the first person that I'll talk about is, you know, actually my wife, which is really funny. Um, back when I was in college, I was uh, following her work. Her name's Kirsten Lepore, and she's a stop motion animator. And her whole deal is just like she plays with minimalism. Her stories are so simple and um, so elegant in a way that we would never be able to do. Like we're such maximalist filmmakers. And um, a lot of people joke, um, people who know our work and know of Kirsten's work, joke that the uh, rock scene in our movie is the Kirsten Lepore universe, because that's kind of the, the simplicity that she's working with. Um, and so the short film that we would suggest you guys to go see is um, actually two short films. The first one is called Bottle, which is basically um, stop motion done in the real world. Um, so it's two characters. One's made of snow. One's made of sand. And they're uh, sending messages back and forth across the ocean. And she made it using snow and sand. Uh, so it's, it's literally her going out into the elements, into nature, and just manipulating um, what existed outside. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, stop motion animation is one of the most grueling, um, intensive uh, yes. processes. And so it, it, it's a testament to her um, her dedication and to her hard work that she pulled it off. But also the story is so simple and ultimately finds a way to not be um, as like cutesy as you imagine the ending would be. It actually becomes kind of profound. Um, so there's that one. And then the other one is, is High Stranger, which I think a lot of people probably have seen. It's this guy who's sitting in the white void. And he's got these big eyes and his, he, his butt is exposed. And he kind of looks towards the camera and says, oh, hi, you can look at my butt. It's okay. I don't mind. And it's just <laughs> the most gentle simple film but kind of like uh struck a chord with so many people and went very viral yeah it went very viral and um i like to say that that butt is based off of my butt so mm -hmm. i'm very ah. proud of that yeah <laughs> um i mean so, you and kirsten both have nice butts you yes, like to look at each exactly. other's butts yeah 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 that's a through line through all of our work um, well there are there are lots of uh butts yes i was gonna say in, <laughs> uh, in your work um, it's true now we know um, where it comes from okay <laughs> so where would our where would our audience go to find these um, you can just look her up online, Kirsten Lepore. Um, she has a website. A lot of her works on on Vimeo. Um, and then it, a lot of it got ripped and put on YouTube, and she doesn't get any of the uh, advertising that comes from right. YouTube. Uh. Right. Um, but she's you know since since doing those short films, she's now you know she's done an episode of Adventure Time, and you know now she's working on a, a Marvel thing for Disney Plus, and so she's directing some Marvel stuff. So it's it's fun to see these people kind of. Um, 
their careers grow over the past 10 decades, 10 to 10 years. 10 decades. You're good at time days. today. I know. <laughs> um, our brains are fried from all the, the press the press we've been doing. Um, do you want to talk about the next person? So that, sure. that's, 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 um, Indie Animator One. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and those are those are so the best place to see would be Vimeo because that way you're paying her. Correct is the uh, yeah, um, yeah, and then uh, another friend of ours uh, just got nominated for an Oscar and then lost uh, <laughs> last week. So pretty cool. Um, his name's Mikey. Please, uh, and I forget to how to pronounce his co-director's name. They Dan, made a movie. Dan, Dan Ojari. Ojari? Yeah. Dan Ojari. They did a movie called Robin Robin that was up for animated short mm. film. Uh, with the uh, Argument team who did um, Wallace and Gromit right. and yeah, you know, yeah. Chicken Little, all those things. Yeah. But uh, he, there's a movie of his in particular that blew our minds, uh, you know, 10 years ago. 10,000 uh, years ago. 10,000 <laughs> years ago. They made a movie called The Eagleman Stag. Uh, or just Mikey did. and uh, And it's like... An, an, it's maximalism and minimalism, but like he's another stop motion animator, and the movie is all done in uh, white uh, styrofoam and white paper, uh, and so it's a masterclass in like camera design, movement, lighting, because he manages to make these like complex, gorgeous images, but it's just all just using shadow because mm-hmm. um, everything's white. Um, and the the concepts themselves are so brilliant. I, I hope you guys get a chance to see it. It's, it's, is this it's the a, one that's one about the passage of time, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, the relative nature of um, yeah, no, because I'm 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 sort of obsessed with that. There's a got a, a memorable line that I'm forgetting from Catch Twenty Two, where Conrad um, Joseph Heller talks about just the nature of that. How you know when you're 13, how a summer feels like an eternity, and then you're an old man, and it goes by in a heartbeat. And exactly, Joe, if you yeah. haven't seen it, yeah, this is a movie that kind of breaks down that whole sort of how time just gets faster by every second, and how. And actually, this you know this this uh, short film Eagleman Stag was actually named after a neuroscientist, David Eagleman who um, we basically became obsessed with because of Mikey. Because after we met Mikey, he, he, he handed us one of uh, David Eagleman's books. And ever since then, we've just been kind of devouring um, all the different uh, pop science that uh, he's been putting out in the world. And so in more than one way, this, this, this short film has influenced us and, and has kind of fed into a lot of our work. Um, I love the way that Mikey uses light and the way that he uses like what what Shannon was saying, uh, the camera in a way that doesn't feel like stop motion, or do, it doesn't feel like stop motion, doesn't feel like animation. It just feels so alive, and um, you know, I think we we steal a lot of that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. which is why our I think when people look at our our film and the way it edits and the way that we shoot it, it just feels so um, it feels so chaotic, but at the same time, it feels very controlled, um, and a lot of that I think comes from. Um, our love for animators like Mikey. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I can see that. I think, isn't there a, uh, um, God, uh, you, you animate one of the characters in Swiss Army Man, don't you? Is that, is there like a, is there, is that, you sort of uh, do stop motion animation with, uh, with an actor? We did, uh, there's a couple animated bits in the new movie, and then there's a whole right. deleted scene in Swiss Army Man where we wanted Kirsten to do a stop motion uh, beginning of time, uh, life and death of the human species, all animated with uh, poop. There's a lot of poop in Swiss Army Man, and uh, <laughs> it was in the script straight up until production, and then we were like, right. maybe we don't need, maybe right. we don't need the poop it montage. Was be, it was going to be like what um, Aronofsky did with Noah, you know, that uh, right. incredible <laughs> sequence, but uh, yeah. Um, didn't work out. Didn't okay. need it. We didn't need it. Yeah, it was, we had enough um, ideas in there. <laughs> but um, yeah, quickly we'll just we'll just talk about the the last indie animator on this list who has been hugely influential is um, David O'Reilly, who um, some people might know for him for his video games. But you know, when we first met him, he was made, making these incredibly ambitious, like genre defying and like um, just just format breaking short films, um, one of one, one of which won Sundance um, external world. It's just this very bizarre mixture of, of like, it, it plays with cartoon tropes, but then pushes it into all these different territories that you probably shouldn't be um, 
um, that you probably shouldn't be exploring with like you know animation, but he, he goes for it, and it's so fun to watch. There's there's just it's just, just a strange collision of of ideas that shouldn't work together. And um, after we watched his short film External World, we were like, we I want to make something like that, something that just feels like undefinable. And so we made this short film called Interesting Ball, which I don't know if you guys have seen, but I don't know. No. It's it's a pre it's almost like a precursor to everything everywhere all at once. It's it was us exploring infinity and absurdity, um, but within like twelve minutes instead of two hours. And so David O'Reilly's short film was super influential. Um, for that kind of exploration where we learned how to intercut and create uh, massive montages out of, out of uh, a lot of different materials that shouldn't stick together. So that, that was um, mostly influenced um, from O'Reilly's work, but then even his, um, his video game, his, his first big video game is called everything, which is actually very funny. Um, it just happened to um, be released while we were working on our movie, but it's a video game where you can literally be anything. You can be a rock. You can be an antelope. You can be a tree. You can be a, can be a planet, a solar system. And then you can go all the way down to like quarks and then like the math within yeah. uh, subatomic particles. You can <laughs> even be like uh, toenail clippings. And you just roll around the world and the universe becoming everything. And every now and then Alan Watts uh, comes in with like a monologue about uh, life and existence. And it's such a beautiful, strange video game that like defies, again, what they what you expect the medium to be. And so obviously a lot of that is in our movie as well. Um, so David O'Reilly is another person who just, and, I think, yeah. And is his stuff easy to find or? Yeah. Uh, and it, it's like all online and then um, except for the game, which you can buy, like now it's been released on like almost every gaming platform. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although it was like an independent game, it's become like a pretty big hit. Also, he was like a, it's, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say he's an Irish animator, but then moved out and lives in Los Angeles now. Mm-hmm. Uh, is doing a bunch of installation art now. I can't wait to see what he's yeah. doing next. But, you know, his, his trailer for his video game, one of the trailers, because there's many trailers, but one of the trailers actually um, got um, placed in a Oscar, um, what do you call it? Oscar, uh, an Oscar qualifying um, film festival. So it's, I think it's what I think it's the first video game to ever qualify for the Oscars, which is very <laughs> funny. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. So those three people I think are worth um, checking out and have been deeply influential for our our work and our careers. Um, and that's uh, that's our little lesson. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's, it's one of the things we really love is trying to turn people onto movies and filmmakers they don't know. And uh, um, that's yeah, I, yeah. And all the movie studios that listen can just now uh, green light feature films by those people because they're all brilliant. That's yeah. exactly how it works, actually, right, yeah. Joe? Yeah, we, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so we have we have such a huge number of uh, famous uh, moguls who all the, all the studio has listed in green light. Right, what we tell them higher. to. <laughs> Hello, studio heads. Fantastic. Well, yeah, let's get into some features then. Like, what's uh, where do you want to begin? Cool. We'll let you drive. What's 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 popping out to you on that list? Oh, okay. Wow. Well, so we're we should, we should pretend we don't have a list, but well, well, let's, okay, let's just start okay, with the, We can uh, surprise yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. No. Start with like what's what's the first one you remember seeing that 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 really knocked you out? That either of you, I guess. I guess the oldest one on the list is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Honestly, this movie is such a technical feat. Um, as a kid, you don't realize that you're just like, oh, this is fun. Cartoons with, with live action. This is incredible. Um, and then, you know, now that we're filmmakers and we've, we've gone back and, and watched some of the uh, behind the scenes and, and looked at some of the, the behind the scenes photos of how they actually pulled off this movie. It's it's incredible the, the amount of uh, respect that Zemeckis had for um, animation and also how to integrate animation to, into the live action world, um, which is kind of what we do, honestly, without the animation part, but we, we mm-hmm. take a lot of the same principles. And so if a baby is going to crawl over someone's face, they will actually have someone come and manipulate the cheek and, and make it feel like the, you know the animation is, is properly affecting the real world. And that's how we approach all of our visual effects is we do as much practically as we can. We have the baby's hand smushing that whatever in the mm-hmm. face just so that it, it feels real and organic. And then we, we go and post and we, we clean it up and, and, and kind of make it feel a little bit, uh, yeah, a little, a little bit uh, better. But otherwise, it's like very much a, a similar technique to how we um, approach our, our um, the, the visual language of our movie. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it's almost like that movie's a synthesis between animation and live action, you know? Yeah. yeah I'm, Joe, you had a history with that. Do you know where you... Well, uh, mine came a lot later. Uh, I mean, Zemeckis, is, uh, the techniques that uh, Zemeckis used were by then abandoned by the time I, I did mine. And, and so uh, we, we couldn't really learn from much of what he did because that technology had disappeared. Wow. Really? Can you, can you elaborate um, on that? So we had to do it. We had to do it all with computers. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what kind of, what, did you remember any specific technologies that disappeared? Just Because I'm just curious. That's so fascinating to hear. Well, it's, it's, much of it has to do with the way that the actors are treated on the set and the, and the way that the, the, the um, effects in terms of the, the practical effects uh, are, they're basically uh, uh, dispensed with. And uh, everything is done like a blank, you do a background and then you add all the stuff to it instead of trying to make it look like you're photographing something real. Yeah, um, it was uh, I, I, after after doing the movie I did, I was you know had even more respect for how much they had been able to get away with on, on Roger Rabbit, especially with a studio that was very nervous yeah. about doing the movie at all, and was so worried that it was going to flop that they had a special campaign made with Roger Rabbit begging people to come to the movie uh-huh. in, in case it flopped. <laughs> That's great. I'm gonna have to look that up. That's amazing. Um, yeah, we like a lot of times we watch o- older movies when we're talking, we're trying to figure out how we want to execute visual effects because we're we're kind of bored by the modern techniques and and things like Ghostbusters or Gremlins are like way more interesting to us uh, than you know CGI. Um, also, just because that's just not how our brains work. Like like I said, we we learned uh, Blender together, and then we realized that's not actually how we like to make movies. And so right. a lot of our work is actually pushing against that or moving in the opposite direction. Yeah, I thought about putting Beowulf on this list as the movie that's everything I don't want to do as a filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like Roger Rabbit is so inspiring and Beowulf is like a cautionary tale in my eyes of just like, Sure, you can put the camera through that keyhole, but why? Like, yeah, no, it... I, I, that's true. And 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 the thing about CGI is it has no weight. Uh, yeah. I, I, I first noticed that watching one of the Hobbit movies where they had some animated uh, vehicle was moving, and it was bouncing around and it was displacing rocks, and there was no feeling whatsoever of it having any weight at all. It was it was as if it was the light as air. Whereas when you do it with anything real and you photograph something real, you get the idea that yes there's something yeah. actually occupying this space and it's easier yeah. for the actors because there's something to look at and totally. so you know I, they kept talking about doing another gremlins movie and, and doing it with all cgi and i just kept thinking that's that's just not what people really want to see for this stuff you know <laughs> would change them yeah I would I would so you, could do, you could make it with the original techniques but then you could use the cgi to eliminate the puppeteers which would make right. it a lot easier exactly. yeah that's our jam them. No, you know, that's yeah. totally... so you can use it. I mean, it's great. It's a great tool, but yeah. it's yeah. not as good as having real things in front of you. Yeah. Totally. Well, I remember really... seeing the um, uh, when they the first time when Lucas started futzing with with uh, you know the original movies and going to see the first Star Wars. That is the movie that was called Star Wars, not Star Wars. What is Star Wars Four and whatever? Yeah, <laughs> the Mark Hamill Harrison Ford, and um, it was amazing. It really hit me. There was that shot of. You know, from the original, and it's an elephant with a giant rug on it, looking like some kind of alien creature. And then they had added a CG creature next to it that was so much more sophisticated. But one of those things had weight. One of those yeah. things I could practically smell off the screen. And the other was just like somebody, it, it just, yeah. It was it like adding a cartoon over the picture. Yeah, uh, it, it, it just didn't, it did not bring the extra sophistication that I think they intended. And um, yeah, I'll always prefer the elephant with the rug on it, man. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's definitely the elephant with the rug on it is definitely a good way to sum up our, our filmmaking style. I think, <laughs> but I think Joe, what you're saying is like really true about the gremlins. Like if they were to do gremlins again now, it's like we invest the time and energy to make sure the thing that the audience is looking at is, is real and looks good and it's practical. And then we can, you can use all sorts of digital tricks to clean up and hide and remove whatever we needed to make it possible really easily now you know whereas you know back in the day you'd have to have people hiding in all sorts of awkward positions we had we had to build our sets up on stilts and everybody was underneath the sets with monitors and stuff you wouldn't have to do that now exactly so so to us like um digital effects and and cgi those things are all really wonderful tools to 
um, make some things, some old techniques easier and more accessible and cheaper, um, but not necessarily the thing that we want to um, the audience to focus on. So, which yeah. is true of stop motion too, and yeah. like they they can do such wild things with stop motion now, and they can just remove all the rods, but it's still right there, and it still feels tangible, and you want to you want to hold it, um, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, and it's so cool to watch what like our friend Mikey was able to do uh, with digital effects but still nothing you're looking at is digitally created. It's just, it was digitally composited. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, Roger Rabbit, it's, it's, it's still something I revisit every few years and, and still impressed by the storytelling is so sharp. Obviously mm. it's a Chinatown play, but it's like very much um, its own thing at the same time. Um, and also, you know, the, the fact that you get to see all these characters hanging out with each other, it's almost like the first uh, multiverse um, fan service movie yeah. I can think of, which yeah. is pretty funny. Yeah. Huh. There, there was. I mean, I was an adult when that came out, but there was that kind of bizarre thrill of like uh, uh, Mickey Mouse and Bugs Buddy are going to be in the same movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an amazing film. Well, cool. Since, well, we're, uh, since we're talking about CGI having no weight, should we talk about Pixar? Because <laughs> we we picked Let's a couple. There's a couple of those that have like uh, blow our minds. You know, like on one hand, a lot of CGI effects leave us feeling cold and yet some of Pixar's best films are like some of the most life-affirming, emotional, well-written stories, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and some of them are so near and dear to our heart. Uh, what I, what I love about Pixar films and I, I'm thinking of Wally when I say this is, is that they, they're constantly trying to play with um, their structure and the form of story, um, but wrapped up in a very, um, conventional digestible package. And so mm -hmm. you look at something like up that has that, you know, very groundbreaking opening montage that, you know, yeah. emotionally destroys you so that then anything that happens for the rest of the movie, you have this, this thing in your back pocket, this, or this, this like well of emotions that we've all experienced together mm -hmm. um, that you can tap into. And that was like pretty brilliant. And then, and then Wally starts with like a 30 minute, almost no dialogue. Yeah. Uh, like minimalist masterpiece about like just a robot in a wasteland and you're riveted. And then when you go into space and there's tons of people, it's like, you, it's so overwhelming because you've gotten yeah. so used to uh, the solitude and, yeah. and like, what a big swing with a kid's movie to be like, no, 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 nobody else. Yeah. Barely any talking. Right. He's just, well, a I think, I think that the key to that though, is that they don't think of them as kids movies. Totally. totally. Yeah. Exactly. They take them so seriously. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. I mean that 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 changed. I think that whole that whole genre, that whole arena. You know where, um, you know, I feel like it used to be that there were kids movies that were smarter than kids movies, and that you could go to as an adult and enjoy. But they kind of I don't know legitimized it, normalized it somehow. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's like you're no longer a strange person if you go to an animated film as an adult. You know, without a kid. Completely. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I feel like we're on our way towards that. I think I think we'll really know um, when animation has fully um, become a respectable medium when you know they're also included in the you know best picture noms or whatever. You know, right now they're still very much their own segmented off category. But I, I really do believe that sometimes the best films of the year are the animated films, um, which is you know it's uh, it's too bad that they they aren't in the running for the the final. Italian, oh, there, there may there may not be an Oscars after a couple of years. So, you know, <laughs> That's <right>. true. <laughs> yeah, we'll and then the Annie Awards are going to be the only award anyone watches. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then the Annie Awards every year they uh, they do a segment for you know five the five best live action films. There you go. Uh, <laughs> it's like a little like pity award. <laughs> yeah, so we're like it's <laughs> yeah. another universe. I like it. Um, the the other thing that right, if we find really inspiring about Pixar. Um, beyond how experimental they can be within a um, popcorn, you know, uh, playground is that uh, they, the way that they are made is so collaborative um, in a way that we love because we're, you know, we're co-directors. And so everything has to be filtered through this lens of intense collaboration. And they have that brain trust that, you know, that everyone talks about the Pixar brain trust where everyone's constantly passing ideas back and forth and sharing drafts and, and there's there's also this like really scary but wonderful feeling that nothing is sacred. So if the story's not working, you know they will throw it all away and start over again because they are so committed to trying to crack 
um, the story in Crack, what is right. special about the idea. Uh, my, my roommate used to be um, an employee at Pixar. And so he'd just tell stories of like watching all the rough cuts or, or the, the rough cuts of the um, animatics and how often they would just throw away half of the half of the work and start over again because they weren't they they hadn't found it yet. So you know, one of the movies he worked on at the time was Inside Out, and he he told me all the different things that had changed throughout the you know the five or six years that he was there. And I think for a movie like Everything Everywhere, we kind of had to really absorb that that mentality. We had to throw away a lot of stuff to finally find what the movie actually was. So. Although the lesson I took from that book we were reading about the Pixar Brain Trust is also that like they're very careful about curating who's in the room and about empowering the filmmaker to ignore feedback uh, and, and ultimately have authorship. Yes. Uh, yeah. and, and, and I think that's another, that's a part of the process that I'm always, sometimes I'm too cautious and other times I'm so proud of myself that we're careful who we're getting feedback from, you know, cause like one note from a person who just isn't the audience, uh, right. Yeah. It's in you spiraling and can, uh, and, and you lose, and you lose enthusiasm that you can never get back, you know? And it's like, yeah. Oh, that we were headed, we were about to go down a beautiful roller coaster. And that note just made us get off the roller coaster and try a different ride. You know, well, that's, that's very common. And even, yeah. in li- even in live action, uh, totally. Yeah. You know, the, the more the more cooks, you know, the the more stomach aches. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, but also a, an, a megalomaniac chef can also make some pretty shitty food too. Yeah. It's like finding that balance of like how much criticism is the right amount of criticism. Like it's it's hard, you know. Yeah, and so so like you you watch things like Wally, and it's it's clear that they they um they were willing to <laughs> to find that balance. Yeah. Yeah, that but that seems like ultimately the balance, no matter, you know, even if you're just working alone, you know, there's going to be these conflicting impulses that you need to figure out when you need to listen to yourself and when you need to ignore yourself. And then, you know, then the more people you let in, you have to figure out how to do that with them. And right. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the term. Build trust with them. And I, I think the worst thing is when, you know, someone throws out an idea that actually sounds just absolutely perfect and wonderful. And then you slowly start to realize it's destroyed your, <laughs> it destroyed your project, you know? It's, totally. It's so funny that the weird chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The last thing I'll say about Wally is I'm pretty sure it's the first time Pixar hired uh, Roger Deakins as a, a consulting cinematographer, which That's I just the love. One I feel like, yeah. yeah. He also did how to train a dragon. I think. Right. Around right. the same time he did those two movies, but you watch that movie and like, I remember the first time I saw him like, Whoa, there's like, like focus racks and like incredible like lens flares and, and just the composition are so confident and that, like even as like a yeah. it makes such perfect sense the first time yeah. you hear that you know exactly. it's like, oh wow how is, how is that not a thing we were doing before this right yeah <laughs> so uh, right here we'd like to take a pause for a minute to thank our sponsor you didn't think we had a sponsor? Well, if you're listening to the show, you have to know we have a sponsor because we plug it incessantly. Moviesunlimited.com, the movie collector's website. They're not only huge fans of our show, but they feature many of the movies we discuss here, so you can easily find them to add to your collection. Sure, you can stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites, you watch what you want, when you want, and there's usually a ton of great content and bonus features like director commentaries, deleted scenes, and all sorts of goodies. And he ain't just whistling Dixie, folks. Uh, that's right. You can buy your favorites at MoviesUnlimited.com. Um, you know what they've got. They've got everything. They've got classics, imports, hard-to-find films, and, of course, new releases, too. Prices are great. Choices are endless. If you go to the Movies Unlimited banner on the Trailers from Hell website, you click on that, it'll take you to them. If you go to the MoviesUnlimited.com website and click on the uh, the banner for our podcast, The Movies That Made Me, it'll take you to a different entry for every episode. There's a list of every movie that's discussed on every episode, and you just click on them and you can buy them from them. Uh, go to MoviesUnlimited.com, the Movie Collector's website. Shipping is always free on orders over $50. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, then a very not Pixar movie that we love is called Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Have you oh, ever yeah. seen it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like one of my friends in college was like, dude, it's one of the funniest movies I've seen in a long time. And I was like, sure, buddy. And I just didn't watch it for years because I was like, I don't believe him. But uh, it's the title. God. <laughs> yeah. The- it's there's something Lord and Miller are capable of taking like projects that should be so bad and making them like fantastic. Uh, and like, and there's something kind of magical about taking like uh, something that has a low bar, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. adapting the book cloudy with a chance of meatballs into a feature You're or like, even doing the Lego okay. movie. Like a lot of people, when they made that, announcement, yeah. they're like, they're like, oh. cool. Good luck with your toy movie. Right. Exactly. That sounds like a weird cynical crap, like cash. Exactly. Grab. Right. Yeah. Yes. You know, in, in, this, like, in the, in yeah. the Lego movie, there are more ideas per second than, uh, than anything except maybe speed racer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Totally. And I yeah. think, I think cloudy is like, is pretty close to that one. And, and there's something about cloudy with a chance of meatballs that like, uh, they also like, respect animation in a in a way that like uh is very exciting and they're and they're constantly pushing the aesthetic of the projects they're involved in mm-hmm. um it's like cloudy kind of like it looked a little bit like other animated films but like the they they had this uh love of like looney tunes energy where people like squash and stretch and like the, it's like a really exciting world to live in and it, like, it makes you want to eat the food that's falling out of the sky, which is like a pretty fun <laughs> experience in a movie. But the, the best thing that they do is they take these incredibly dumb throwaway jokes and then they redeem them and they pay them off over right. and over again. Like the beginning of the movie has like rat birds is like one of his inventions. And you're like, that's well, a dumb joke. that joke doesn't land. I don't yeah. care about the rat birds. And by the end of the movie, you care about the rat birds. And they're yeah. like a very important part of the story. <laughs> Um, and that that's something that we love to do in our work as well, but they do it on another level. They're the way that they can tie together like five different dumb jokes and turn it into a climax that is yeah. actually emotional. It's like so beautiful. <laughs> the other joke yeah. I'll spoil is like he has like a translator, you know, collar that he puts on his monkey. And this is before Up did it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and then his monkey just says really dumb stuff the whole movie. Uh, it's it's right. Like a yeah, because it's a monkey. Monkey. <laughs> yeah, it says. Uh, but the runner of the whole movie is that his dad and him can't communicate. His dad only understands fishing, doesn't understand science, and like uh, is always doing fishing metaphors that that fall flat. And at the end of the movie, he puts the collar on his dad, and his dad finally is able to communicate. Like, yes. I'm proud of you. And like, I remember watching the movie, and after laughing my ass off during the finale, like I like teared up and got sincerely yeah. emotional and so happy for him and his dad. And I was like, this yeah. is not, I did not expect this movie to like move me. Yeah. Which is again, like something we aspire to, you know, is to like, because they basically they'd smuggled that gimmick in through the back door. Essentially it was like, they smuggled it in through fart jokes. Practically. Totally. You, you yeah, don't yeah. expect it to show up and be the key to the whole emotional yeah. journey. I think, yeah. yeah. Jokes can be such a great way to smuggle, uh, themes and, uh, sincere ideas into an audience and make them yeah. not notice until, uh, no, they're, they're amazing. And I still, I mean, I, you know, hands down my favorite Marvel film is, you know, their Spider-Man, yeah. uh, which really is just impressive. incredible. And I still can't imagine, are we allowed to talk about this show? The, uh, uh, we to disparage anybody who could, who could destroy our careers, but hey, weren't they, they were, they were the original, you know, they're doing solo. Yeah. I, I just think like, why on earth would you hire those guys and then not give them free reign at that point? It just seems right. like, well, they I can't imagine that film wasn't going to be wonderful. They hired uh, Lawrence Kasdan, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. like, they had like the iconic screenwriter of Star Wars, and then they had these guys who were like brilliant at play. And those two <laughs> things, like, uh, 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 like yeah, this tension probably was, was probably so tough. But I would love to see the, their version of the solo. Movie. Yeah, that's but that's what they also I wanted to see. They didn't get to do their, you know their thing where they, they bite off a project that has low expectations, you know? Right. These days they're doing a lot of high expectation stuff like right. Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's true. Been, like the Lego movie should have been just the most cynical cash grab ever. No. Yeah, yeah exactly. But that movie is one of the most amazing things about that movie. Just the, the technical stuff that they really pushed. Like I remember we, we actually sat down with Lord and Miller a long time ago while they're working on more uh, Lego movie. And, um, it's, it's because all the duos, directing duos in Hollywood, we like to like reach out to each other and, and make this weird inside inside club. Yeah. Um, but the, 
we we sat down for lunch with them and they're like the thing that they really fought for was making sure that the legos only moved in the way that the plastic toys could move you know right. like i think the studio really wanted them to be like fully fluid and yeah. like all that's like and they're like no they should move the way the toys do and which is a real tough sell because like those toys move terribly like they yeah. can't even walk <laughs> but it's, it's those limitations that make them feel so um practical and it, it feels like stop motion which is like really funny because growing up what were the what were the some what were the first things you animated in stop motion um usually legos like that's what i awesome. yeah yeah exactly yeah. so it, it 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 created this this completely beautiful style because of that limitation and i think that's what they're always looking for they're looking for these challenges um as filmmakers and 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 we aspire towards that as well Mm. yeah no i can see that and uh yeah 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 i love those movies um uh, good stuff uh you, well, can, let's, let's... Uh, you might be able to hear just a little bit of kirsten lapore working on an animated movie in the other room so <laughs> oh, wonderful yeah you know, listen yeah. closely and you'll get inside scoop on some <laughs> That's <new right>. animation <laughs> he's doing some uh something for marvel right now um oh really kind of, yeah it's, it's funny to see her go from like working with like sand and snow to like doing a, a marvel thing for disney plus but you know it's it's exciting are you allowed to say that yeah are okay, you allowed cool. to, oh okay yeah no it's, <laughs> it's 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 announced it's out there she, she's cool yeah uh, it's, it's nice that they're they're playing around um oh yeah, with that yeah kind of stuff. we're excited yeah. about it um, oh, very cool and uh the next we have a whole nother category of animation that uh very much inspired the new movie yeah. uh which well, is like anime uh various like uh, Asian animated films. Are they all Japanese, the ones we picked? Uh, yes. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, we can start with, like, the, 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 the obvious one is, like, Miyazaki was a massive um, influence on us growing up. And um, I think specifically we wanted to talk about uh, Princess Mononoke. Princess Mononoke, like, blew my middle school brain. Like, I could not believe, like, that movie. And it just, like... Uh, was one of those movies that like it ended and you know there's not it ended with so much ambiguity that I could you couldn't just put it to bed you know you couldn't be like well that was a nice two hour entertaining thing um, I like wanted to live in that world I wanted to understand it I felt so conflicted because there's so many different characters you like and uh, I had fallen in love with a weird feral wolf princess who's not necessarily a good guy and I didn't know what to do with my feelings <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic uh, but it's also just like reverent and philosophical in ways that like uh i wasn't used to seeing in a movie you know like um yeah i mean to me like as a kid it, it was mostly just the fact that there was no good guy and there was no bad guy like by the end of the movie i felt so uncomfortable because there was no like moral center that i i, I could understand um and that's just because the the film is about like so much more than that and i i think we aspire towards to do that as well like the uh, our film everything everywhere um Early on, we realized there is no bad guy. The bad guy is um, is chaos. The bad guy is existence and entropy except itself. And and uh, I think a lot of that kind of traces back to the way that Miyazaki and a lot of Japanese storytellers don't necessarily have a good versus bad narrative. It's usually way more complicated than that. Yeah, um, I mean that's one of the things I really liked about the film. In fact, is uh, the way sort of uh, each each alleged villain is slowly revealed to be something else and something more complicated. Mm, totally i'm i'm um i might cut this uh, this might be this might be a regrettable thing this might get me killed <laughs> i in fact my 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 niece who's eight i just sent her um a whole bunch of she was just starting to get into mizaki and i sent her a whole box set of a bunch of a bunch of them including princess mononoke and uh, yeah. there's something about anime that and, and his films too that i just have i don't know what it is it's one of those things i'm I like to think I'm enlightened enough to know the difference between, you know, that's a bad movie and there's something going on with me. It's clearly there's something with me. I have a hard time yeah. <laughs> um, connecting with a lot of anime and, and I've tried because I know that especially him, you know, there's these amazing filmmakers I've even done. I, I wrote a, uh, I wrote an anime for, uh, for DC years ago. I did things called uh, Batman Gotham Knights where I wrote a, um, and they had a bunch of anime directors. Of course. Oh, yeah. Wow, cool. I had so much fun doing that. And I really, you know, it's like, I'm so invested in that. I, I love it, but there's just something, I, I don't know what I, I keep working at it. I know eventually it's going to crack and, and, and I'll have this incredible sort of genre awaiting me or medium awaiting me or whatever it is. 
but I, I, I don't know what it is. Like, yeah, wow. I mean, that's don't cut that. Keep that in there. That's I think I think it's important. <laughs> Everybody has different. Yeah, it's yeah. It's just I I don't know because it's clearly you know it's clearly me. It's clearly uh, um, the other option is just that it's a terrible genre and all of you are wrong. Yeah. A lot of times I say I'm, that, I'm, like, not, I'm not prepared to accept that. <laughs> almost all my favorite films, I didn't get them at first. Like, and I'm not saying that will necessarily happen, but like, it's it, there's something. Some of my favorite films are ones that like I have to grow a little mm-hmm. or change. I have to change as a person in order to like wrap my head around what this person's trying to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Same with like music, you know, where you like, listen oh. to it and you're like, I think I like it, or maybe I don't. And then like a month or two later, you're like, I, this is all I can think about. I'm now a super fan. <laughs> I, was, I was, I believe, in my early 30s, the first time I heard Dylan. It was just mm-hmm. decades of this annoying, raspy voice, yeah. rot, rotten singer. And then yeah. just one day it was like, oh. <laughs> yes. Totally. That's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like the biggest Dylan fan alive. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared for that. And life is long and we get these things eventually. Oh, it's like, yeah, a long it's just, time to a, wrap my head around the radio head. I just, interesting. I just got it right now. <laughs> no, like oh, in the okay. last couple of years, oh, in the wow. middle of this conversation, it just, yeah, it just happened. <laughs> Wait, Radiohead's good. I think it's good. Yeah. Um, but, but are you, are you a big anime fan, Joe? I don't think we've, we've certainly never come up on the show. So we've never had this conversation. I've, I came to anime very late. because uh, okay. we, it, it, until, uh, until a certain point, they, they really just weren't available. Yeah, um, there were there were a couple of animes. There was a Cleopatra anime that was released in the in the eighties that was a, sold as a sex film because oh. it was because it was erotic. Um, and that but that was the first one I ever saw. I can't remember who actually did it. Um, but then it, but then I think it was really the Spirit of the Way era that I yeah. started to to pick up on this stuff. And then you know the My Neighbor Totoro and that kind of stuff is it, it tends to be something that you find at some at somebody's house who has a kid. Yeah. Totally. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, there's something kind of we we love like Miyazaki's gentle movies, um, but they're like almost plotless, beautiful, therapeutic like films for kids that or and for adults. But like like Totoro and Kiki's Delivery Service and Ponyo are all like just these gentle experiences about like inner peace. Uh, and then there's another genre with of things like Mononoke and. Nausicaa Valley of the Wind that are just these like complex moral quandaries. And, that, and those, like, are the, those are the ones that tend not to be dubbed with a recognizable American right. voice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, um, the although the dub, the dub for Mononoke is, is not, to, not too bad. They, no, they, yeah, they, they definitely put some effort into yeah, it. Well, yeah. There's Billy Bob Thornton and like they got like some big names. Yeah. Uh, so it was one of the only dubbed animes that I like would listen to it with Engli- English dialogue as a kid. Um, but mm. you, you talking about that reminds me of the fact that like, you know, with our work, we're always playing with structure and trying to find ways to move away from uh, the expected just to surprise ourselves. You know, if we surprise ourselves, we know we are surprising our audience. And um, one thing that um, a lot of Japanese and, and Chinese uh, filmmakers use is, is rather than going with a three, three act structure, there's this thing called like a Kind of butcher butcher it. Um, Kisho Tenketsu, I believe. It's like a, have you guys heard of this? It's like a four act structure that is more um, based on like Eastern um, cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the best way for me to sum it up is like three act structures in in Western stories. Typically, the the narratives all um, revolve around conflict, and that's the driver behind the story. Conflict. Right. Whereas um, with Kisho, Ten, Kisho Tenketsu and uh, Asian stories, often it's about just contrast and change and surprise. And so it's not, it's not always like about conflict, which is mm-hmm. why people watch Totoro or uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. And they're like, what is this? There's no conflict. <laughs> there, there's no story here. Uh, when really there is a story there, it's just not what we, it's not how right. we usually um, tell them. And so it, I, I find that part very fascinating and, and mm. an interesting way to look at those movies. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, uh we were we were trying to think of like some some the most formative animes that we love, and each one's like a pretty intensely different genre. Which yeah. is like, I think we're not buffs of the genre. We're not that up to speed on kind of like hardcore fans or like the or any of the classic stuff really. <laughs> um, but uh, one of our other favorites is uh, Satoshi Kon, uh, and his stuff is more like psychological thriller and psychedelic and just like 
uh, trying to get uh, a hold on your mental health <laughs> kind of movies. It, it's really surreal. Um, have you guys seen the movie Paprika? Uh, no, but I know of it. Yeah, I remember. It's, it's yeah. like a Michel Gondry type thing, like where you're kind of in and out of dreams, but like done with animation and. But famously, like uh, Christopher Nolan used it as a reference for Inception. You know, like a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that that um, a lot of the twisting of the hallways and, and mm-hmm. reality kind of shifting. But where like Inception is almost like a brutalist action film with really yeah. harsh lines. This is like a gooey psychedelic dreamscape. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is more our vibe. Um, and there, there's this, there's these incredible animated sequences, specifically of like a man running through a hallway that never um that he's not moving in or whatever that that just perfectly captures what it feels like to be in a dream um Mm -hmm. and uh that and then also there's this existential i call this like existential parade it's it's a nightmare parade where literally everything possible in the dream space is go running down the street with like music and it's really upbeat but it's terrifying somehow it's all it's like it kind Mm -hmm. of it's like the, the the um, cinematic version of a clown. You know, clowns are so playful. Terri- and, yeah, 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 but yeah. they're actually terrifying. So the whole, there's nothing terrifying about this parade. Like when you just look at the individual pieces, but as a whole, it is anxiety-inducing. And I, I think about it all the time because I'm like, that is what life feels like. And, and we wanted to kind of capture that chaos and that that feeling of overwhelming anxiety in our movie, everything everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's yeah, sequences like the you know the existential terror parade that is in paprika have like always stuck with me but yeah i think the other thing i love about him is that he's like uh he shows a lot of restraint as well like he's like a very good writer a very good filmmaker and whole sequences will just be like naturalistic sound design and and like nuanced characters talking so that like you kind of are lulled into like believing this world and then he's like guess what i'm like one of the most visually inventive filmmakers you've ever seen but i'm i'm just i was waiting to uh pull the rug out you know yeah um and it yeah so it's it's fun i I love his simple filmmaking as well as his crazy filmmaking yeah yeah josh i'd be curious to hear what you think about it maybe maybe it'll be something that will tip the uh tip you over the edge yeah because i (laughs) mean you know it's certainly not you know as you're talking i'm sort of coming to a better grasp of sort of my issue because yeah i'm i am a kind of a meat and potato slave to narrative. Um, and, yeah. You know, Western narrative, obviously. It's not. Yeah. So that, yeah. that could be it. Cause it's not like I, you know, the art is also distinct and different. It's not like I'm looking at the art and going, ah, it's, it's, there, there's a sensibility that's just, I'm having a hard time clicking with somehow, but I, I don't have that problem with kind of live action Asian cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not all, not some of it. Sure. But yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. Totally. Uh, that is, it is helpful. I'm one step closer to someday being there. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, our last one uh, on our the last one we want to talk about is also is like anime, borderline <laughs> gibberish. Yeah, <laughs> it's the craziest one. Yeah, this will, this will probably be the, the last thing you you will want to watch. But um, it's, a, it's a movie called Mind Game um, mm. by this director Yuasa, and um, it is just um, unbridled creativity. It, it, it's it's very much like has its own inner logic and somehow it works, you know, for the most part, it's like too much, but there are moments of just pure, um, just cinematic genius where I'm like, I've never seen something cut together like this that um, has made me feel so many things in a way that doesn't make any sense. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a sequence that I, I don't want to spoil it, but the climax is essentially just a, a sequence in which a, a group of the main characters are trying to climb out of a whale's belly. I'll, I'll just say that. Um, and that simple act is like stretched out to I don't know, like 15, 20 minutes long. And it's just like, it feels like, um, it feels like the, the, the finale of whiplash, you know, with the, the jazz drum solo that just kind of keeps going on forever. It feels like that, but instead of playing jazz, they are just playing, um, visual imagery. Yeah. Like the, they, the human body. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's montage filmmaking and it like, it's beyond logic because they'll just jump to things that feel right as opposed to things that like make total narrative sense. And it's just like, just kind of, uh, uh, just a visceral montage and then it'll return to the characters as they're running. And then that'll transition to like another, uh, story, but it feels right. Um, and it's just like, music and imagery uh making you feel something as opposed to like um something you could possibly uh write down mm-hmm. on a, in a screenplay you know mm-hmm. and then like 
even after that, when you think the movie's over, it just cuts to this montage of just random moments in life. Half the time, they're not even characters you've seen before. And it, it feels almost like uh, it gives you a similar experience to like um, um, Koyan Skatsi or something, where it's just montage and you don't understand it from a narrative perspective, but the symbols and the ideas and the emotions start to build on each on, on each other. And like, that's how the movie decides to like end it all. It's just like, Mm-hmm. Wow, I don't even know what to, to do with uh, with this with whatever I just watched, which is what we wanted our movie, everything, everywhere to to leave our audiences with. Just Some like, days we would wake up and we'd be like, I want to make something really accessible and good, like uh, Wally. And other days we'd wake up and be like, I want to do mind game. I, I just want to. I just want to just brain. blow yeah. up what movies are supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, even if you don't watch the whole movie, like maybe just like tap in and watch the the, the whale finale because it is, mm. um, you know, it's a, it's not as much of a commitment and it's mm. fun. It's yeah. Should we do one more anime as like a gateway anime? Sure. Yeah. Yes, it's a gateway anime. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. If yeah, if you watch the movie uh, Your Name, uh, it's like a it's like a really accessible, cute kind of rom com where like the you know, spoiling the opening, it's like a body swap movie where a guy and a girl keep waking up in each other's bodies when they go to bed. Um, uh, if you watch it the first four minutes, uh, you might want to turn it off if you're not used to anime because it's like a, like a pop song, like a really cheesy high schoolers centric, like focused, like pop song with lyrics and hearts on the screen. Yeah. And then you get past that and it's a nuanced, extremely carefully constructed, like, uh, love story and it's like devastatingly emotional and like By just like end, yeah. some of the best screenwriting and just like classically entertaining good screenwriting movie uh, and I will say it, they, it blew my uh, partner's mind she was like right because she doesn't really like anime she, yeah right? she doesn't really like anime she's oh like, okay she's I'm like, sorry, oh, I gotta watch Your Name um, Your Name and is it is it easily accessible or um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it made it over here um, it actually for a, a minute it was the biggest box office hit in Japan um, ever. I think that was like five or six years ago. It was like the biggest, um, it was, it was a smash hit over there. And so it made it over here and I have the Blu-ray and there was a, yeah. Yeah. There there is Joe, Joe, where where do you think you can find your name, Joe? I think it would be in movies unlimited. Gosh, darn right. My guess. (laughs) Our wonderful sponsors. Yes. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Wow. These guys. That's right. So, so, okay. So that's, that's the one you think to, um, to uh, try to try to hook myself up with a habit. Maybe. Yeah. Like I said, give it it some time. Like we said, you know, I think all four of those are like, you know, very different from each other. So like none of them are, are like, uh, you know, each other. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll get a nice spread of of options to to choose from. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. And, and like I said at the beginning, I mean, I can, you, you can see it the instant, the instant, uh, you guys said, we want to talk about animation. I was like, well, of course they do. Yeah. Well, I think this might be a record. I think this might be the first episode of our show where every single picture that they talked about was brand new and hasn't been talked about in our hundred plus episodes. Yes. (laughs) Roger Rabbit has come up before. That's right. Okay. I bet Roger has come up. Yes. Um, okay, but we got close, close to all. Of that. Uh, very, very <laughs> close, very close. Yep, yep. But all animated for sure. Yeah. So um, wonderful. And I, 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 we don't normally do this, but I do have to ask because I, I love. We're, we're um, have you guys been Michelle Yeoh fans for for like ever? Was this something that came out of wanting to write for her or? Totally. Yeah. Yes. I think very early on in the process, we were like, oh, maybe it should be a Chinese American family. Who could we cast? And we just started throwing out like, you know, kung fu movies we loved as a kid. And just like fantasizing about like what if Michelle Yeoh was in our movie, and that was such a fun, Fantastic. you know, prompt uh, to just you know watch clips from movies as inspiration, and yeah. to just kind of like fantasize about putting her, this icon, through like our kind of bizarre, yeah, story. My, my dad um, was is he's kind of like a movie encyclopedia. Like he watches uh. more movies than I do, and so mm-hmm. growing up, he would just show me everything, like everything, no filter. Um, and a lot of it was the Hong Kong uh, films that he grew up on. So yeah, right. like we we went through that history, and a lot of Michelle Yeoh was uh, was Fantastic. in was in our uh, our family room playing all the time. So th- yeah, this was a dream come true, and she is just incredible in this movie. We're so we're so and luckily honored. it's like a pleasure to work with. We were yeah. worried like she might be as intimidating as some of her characters are, uh, 
But she's like intimidating the way your aunt is who teases you but loves you, you know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Uh, right. just and she, she was she was very game. Um, well, it's a, it's a wonderful film. And thank um, you. Uh, I, I love what it works out. It's just like it, it's it's you know, I saw the trailer. I was like, got to see that. All right. We have this show. I'll use this show to get to see the screener and then we'll get those guys on and it'll be great. And uh, <laughs> great. So so far, so good. There's uh, it's, uh, <laughs> but that was wonderful. I really. We appreciate you guys coming on, man. It's Thank awesome. you so much. It's such it's a pleasure to meet you guys. Great to meet you guys. Yeah, no, continue. Thank good you. luck. Can't wait to see the next thing. I'm, I'm just without saying, is there, are you percolating already? Is there a... We have a lot of ideas and it'll probably take 10 years to make any of them. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be here I, waiting. I believe okay, that. Cool. Yes, we will. Uh, yes. So Daniels, uh, the directors, uh, Daniel Kwan, Daniel Scheinert, uh, the film is everything everywhere all at once, which is in theaters now. And, um, Go see it and then uh, come home and watch all these wonderful animated films. I'm going to try to turn myself into an anime fan. Oh, it's going to happen. It, it's going to happen. Watch Joe. those movies. Please yeah. uh, send us a Yeah, let us know if you hate them. Yeah. Okay. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much. Right. Bye, y'all. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.